Welcome everyone. <clears throat> Thanks for making the journey here. Um, you know why you come. As Coben said in our reading today, no one makes you do this. No one forces you. And you don't get any what I call brownie points in society for coming to Owan and sitting. You actually come because, as Coben says, you're Buddhas. And our true nature, our Buddha nature, needs to be expressed. And this is a place you can express it. And you can practice it. And you can get in touch with it. So you sit because you're already Buddha. We think we sit to achieve enlightenment, but we actually sit to express enlightenment. It gets covered over uh, during our ordinary lives. And we kind of get our batteries recharged when we come to sit at a one and we get a sense of how life can be, how we can be fully expressive of who we truly are. So it's nice to practice with other Buddhas. So good you could be here. We've been talking about um, the what are called the three poisons in Buddhist practice. Attachment, aversion, and ignorance. And last week Judy spoke about habit. And I want to kind of follow up on on, uh, the good talk that she gave. Um, In considering these three poisons... I did not like the word poison, um, as, as I've often mentioned. I, I don't like using the word evil or something that that's, that's, that's harsh. Uh, and it occurred to me this week that maybe a better term for these three somethings is virus. <laughs> These are the three viruses. Attachment, aversion, and ignorance. I learned this week, and maybe some of you have learned, that viruses are not technically living things. They're not alive. Just as attachments, aversions, and ignorance. These are not living things. They're just words. I'm going to talk more about aversion today because habits are <clears throat> really great examples of attachments. We get attached to something, some place, some person, and we we continue to hold on to that and repeatedly uh, practice that situation. Um, I want to talk more about aversion today because aversion is actually 
correlative to attachment. Every time you attach to something and hold on to it, you're also avoiding and being averse to other things. You want this, but you don't want that. So attachment and aversion go together. Aversion, pushing away. I don't want that. I don't want to face that. Uh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm avoiding that. I'm in denial about that. Um, All of those are just words. They're like non-living viruses. And the only way that they become risky is if they attach to a living thing. Just as a virus becomes dangerous, becomes a disease, when it attaches to a living cell and colonizes it and then begins using that life to reproduce itself. Fear and aversion and hatred are like that. They don't have a life of their own. They're just words. But when they attach to your mind, which is a living thing, then the process of reproduction and life starts. So, you know, what is fear? What is hatred? What is, I don't, you know, not like that. They're they're just words. They're concepts. But they become real. They become alive when they attach to your mind, which is the living thing. So let's think of them as a kind of virus that not only um, sort of colonizes your mind, which is alive, but it actually can spread. Um, Like fear, for instance. Uh, And in a way... What we're dealing with now globally, uh, the coronavirus, um, it's, it's not a live thing, but it's transmitted from living thing to living thing. And when you're, when you're afraid, you can transmit that fear, that anger to others. So in a way, fear is the real virus. It's, it's the real danger. Hatred is the virus. Uh, uh, so consider that 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 these states of these states of mind are only real when they engage our minds, when we give them life. Otherwise, they 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 just don't really exist, except as possibilities, as words, as concepts. So, habits start with attachment. And I'll I'll give an example. I have been sort of, I prefer at the end of every dinner to have something sweet. It's kind of my preference. I like, as most people, like to have a dessert, right, um, after, after a meal. 
And I had become quite attached to ice cream. Uh, Way too attached to ice cream. (laughs) And I decided that um, I wanted to eliminate sugar, a lot of sugar from my life. I'm actually doing this in conjunction with my daughter who was just recently diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's eliminating sugar from her diet. And I, I want to sort of share that experience with her since I'm 3,000 miles away and I can't do much except try to be with her in supporting her in what she's doing. Um, so I decided, well, I really would like to avoid um, this really strong habit that I have of not just having uh, half a cup of ice cream but finishing the pint usually uh, once I start Um, and so I did manage to just stop it uh, cold cold turkey (laughs) cold ice cream and um, a friend of mine thought she was doing me a great favor by bringing me for New Year's uh, a a bag of really wonderful chocolate, little squares of chocolate, uh, and of course high percentage of dark chocolate, I think 80% dark chocolate, and said, you've got to really try these. These are really wonderful. And they were indeed quite wonderful. And I thought, well, I have this gift of chocolates. Well, I'm going to maybe have one square, one little square of chocolate uh, after dinner. And that became my preference. And so I had gone, gotten rid of ice cream and thought, well, okay, well, I'll just do the, this one square of chocolate. And for a number of weeks, I, I did. It was just my preference. And then it became a kind of, uh, not only a preference, but a a desire. I could feel that it wasn't just something that I could do or not do, but it was something that I really wanted. And so this sort of of creeping creeping habit. Um, After a few weeks it became something that I really had to have after a meal. If I, if I didn't have it, there, you know, I just felt there was something missing, that it was really needed, I needed that to complete the meal. And of course, you see where this is going. Um, then I, it became something I really couldn't do without, that I had, if I didn't, in fact, I, at, I ordered another set of bags of chocolate before I finished the last one from Amazon. So I had a stash of chocolate so that I wasn't going to run out. Right? And I'm, I'm watching this. Like, oh, Mado, look what's happening. Interesting. Now, about last week, I found myself having two squares <laughs> of chocolate. And that was alarming. 
Um, it was alarming to my practice because I, I was feeling as if, uh, no, I, this is not my choice anymore. Uh, that the chocolate is controlling me. And I had enough confidence in my practice to allow that to happen without panicking and just allowing myself to see what was happening. Um, I didn't, I had enough confidence in my practice not to uh, scold myself, but just, oh, this is, wow, now I'm having two squares of chocolate and I'm ordering more chocolate and, okay, well, let's see, I'm going to have two squares again and let's see what, well, without really having to do a big number on myself, you know, you're terrible, you're, you know, you're an addict, you can't do it. I, I'm back to one square, I'm happy to, <laughs> to announce. It just happened that way uh, because my awareness somehow was able to transform what was maybe an unhealthy trajectory to a healthier trajectory, to a more liberated trajectory. It's not that I want to eliminate chocolate and then set myself up to fail, um, but just to allow the process to unfold. And then to be able, because I'm not at war with myself, with this, this tendency to habitual behavior, to allow myself to ask, okay, if I am being attached to this, what am I avoiding? What is my aversion? I'm moving toward some kind of habitual mindless state and actually, I would describe it more as almost like a trance. It's like when I'm going for the second piece of chocolate or ordering on Amazon, it's like I'm in some sort of trance. I'm not, I'm not really fully in control of what I'm doing, although I'm aware in some weird sense that I'm, I'm sleepwalking. I'm just grabbing this and grabbing this and grabbing this and ordering and pushing the buttons. Um, so what started off as a very conscious preference, yeah, I'm going to have this square <coughs> of chocolate. It was a gift from Kelly. Um, you know, this is a good thing to, to try to slowly becoming more and more trance-like, you know, in which I'm leaving that sense of presence and freedom to make a choice into some kind of sleepwalking. So when I awake from that trance <laughs> and I recognize what it is, I'm then able to ask, 
what am I really trying to cover over, to avoid, to deny with this trance that I'm in? What can't I face? And one of the things that came up, which was, is very hard to admit to myself, is that maybe I'm lonely. Maybe I need the chocolate because I'm living alone and I don't have anybody to share my meal with anymore. And maybe the chocolate is a way of making me feel less alone and feeling comforted by that sweet, that sweet experience. And it was hard. It's hard to say to yourself, I'm lonely. Instead of being able to say that, I go, so I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding that pain. And most of our habits and most of our attachments are in some form an avoidance of pain. And it can be many kinds of pain. It can be the pain of being lonely. It can be the pain of being scared. It can be the pain of feeling worthless. It can be the pain of rejection. I need something. I can't, I, I can't face that. I can't face that. Um, it can be the pain of feeling lost. To be able to say to yourself, I'm scared. I'm feeling lost. I am anxious. I am so sad. We, we're averse to, to experiencing pain. We are definitely averse to it. And we will do anything to... It's like when we sit and, and our legs start hurting or our back feels sore. I can't... No, I can't be with that. <laughs> I've, got, I've, I've got to get rid of that. And so we go to war with ourselves. Or we get into what eventually are called addictions. Uh, and it can be all kinds. An addiction is a trance. It's being in a trance that will not face, does not want to face pain. Now I'm making a fairly declarative statement. Uh, but I ask you to examine that. To, to see for yourself what's involved in that. And I would suggest that all habits, all addictive behaviors, and it can be anything from food to drugs to alcohol to uh, television to shopping, we all have something that potentially will ease our pain will ease our aversion to pain. 
there are sometimes we talk about good habits I think from a Zen perspective there are, there's no such thing as a good habit because there's any habit any habit is a form of trance it's it's going on what we might say is automatic pilot and our practice is absolutely antithetical to being habitual we want to be present and aware and making choices all the time we don't want to go into a trance and habits are kind of trance-like states and so even when we say make a habit of sitting no don't make a habit of sitting choose to sit every time you look at the cushion be aware that you're sitting a habitual sitting is useless because it's antithetical to what sitting is about which is to be awake and aware and liberated from trance like states mindlessness okay it's another way way of putting me this big thing about mindfulness practice a habit is mindless so we we're not interested in good habits we're interested in liberated actions we might say ultimately that the the most fundamental aversion the, the most the thing that we don't want most of all is to face what is and we'll do anything particularly if what is is something we don't like and we'll find all kinds of ways to push that away in our practice we do exactly the opposite we welcome it in so that we can learn from it and so that it can be transformed and we don't do it habitually we do it every time it arises with fresh eyes with fresh curiosity with fresh examination i'll give you another example i usually in the past have always fallen in love with my teachers and i fell in love with one of my spiritual teachers and this was a very kind of challenging situation because i really was drawn to him and was feeling tremendous uh passion and during a dokusan which is a one-on-one meeting with your teacher i felt that i needed to express that uh that i i needed to be honest about that and he responded i'm very flattered but the feeling is not mutual 
mean, he didn't say that in those words, but it was very clear that he had another, another partner, another interest, another love interest. And I was devastated. He didn't love me. I was basically rejected. I was rejected. And of course, instead of being with that feeling, most of my time on the cushion when I was practicing with him as my teacher, I would fantasize about what life would be like with him. It was going to happen. Even though he told me no. (laughs) I can't tell you how many hours I spent on the cushion fantasizing about what life would be like with him and how much better my life would be if I could only marry someone who had my practice because I was married to somebody who didn't and I was not happy but I was not prepared to face that and so I resorted to the habit of fantasizing where did that get me? absolutely nowhere except that I lost a lot of my life and had I accepted and faced the, the pain of rejection, I might have actually been able to pay more attention to him. Maybe I would have become more lovable. I don't know. <laughs> Possible. See, I'm even imagining now. <laughs> I still can't face the fact that I'm not loved by that person right so you see how it, you know we, it's just unthinkable for us to be with these painful what is the painful what is is this what this is what is he he doesn't love me period Uh, my daughter has breast cancer. That's what is. I'm 76 years old. I don't like that. I want to be 20 again. That's what is. Painful. I have to consider dying. You know? So we... we We are, and I I invite you to examine this, we don't want to accept what is. How our children are, how our parents are, how our life is. And we often, um, we often express this aversion by saying, by demeaning what is. That is by saying, well, that's just, that's just ordinary or that's mundane. And we think that our practice is going to elevate us from the ordinary stuff 
the ordinary difficulties that we have, the ordinary things that we just don't like, that we wish were, uh, I call it the if-onlys. If only I wasn't 76, I would, life would be so much better. If only I didn't have this partner, my life would, if only my job paid in this much. If only, if only, if only. If only the world were different, I would be happy. Instead of, if only I were different, I would see the world differently. So, we, we, we are averse to what is, and we are attached to our if-onlys, our fantasies. And we think those things are, we, they elevate us from our ordinary, everyday difficulties, which, yeah, they're just mundane stuff. But our spiritual practice, we're looking for something that's going to, you know, transcend our ordinary life. So we're averse to that. And we think there's something special that's going to lift us off of human pain human difficulties delusion it's a delusion it's a fantasy this is it (laughs) this is it there's nothing special beyond this and I always like to think of I mean, this idea, this wishful thinking that somehow our spiritual practice is going to lift us beyond all of our mundane problems and difficulties. That's an attachment. It's an attachment to Zen. It's attachment to Buddhist practice. Got to let go of that. I, I often come back to, some of you may have experienced, in, I guess they call them book bugs, there are these tiny little bugs that sometimes live in books and they, they crawl along the page, right? And you look at them and, and they say, that, that thing is alive. That, that tiny little speck is alive. That's a miracle. That's wondrous. That's our life, that, those, that tiny little speck. Getting up in the morning and having to face pain. Uh, going to work and having to face difficulty. Having our families out of our control. That's pain, difficulty, all of that stuff. That's it. Our practice will not elevate us beyond it it will it will help us embrace it and be present to it and learn how to navigate it with compassion with openness neither rejecting nor attaching So this is what is, right? Mm-hmm. I gotta face what is. I have to stop talking, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll face it. <laughs>